More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. Why so many businesses are missing the AI revolution? According to Michael Henlein, marketing professor and scientific director of the ESCP Europe Research Center on Big Data, not only do we struggle to define artificial intelligence, we have problems qualifying intelligence in general. Our failure to understand the concept and therefore implement AI effectively, at least when it comes to maintaining a competitive advantage, is concerning but not unredeemable. Henlein suggests that to understand artificial intelligence, we first need to systematize it. We had the opportunity to sit down with Michael to discuss the inspiration for his latest article, his system for the categorization of AI, and where to start when it comes to ascertaining the value AI can add. Enjoy this episode with Michael. Okay, so Michael, welcome back to our podcast. We're delighted to have you here again and talking again about a very technical subject. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. So we're here to talk today about your recently published journal article, which I have to just, can I, can I just mention the title because I love the title. Of course. <laughs> so the title goes, Siri, Siri in my hand, who's the fairest in the land? on the interpretations, illustrations, and implications of artificial intelligence. And I just think it's just such a winner title, like, you know, who could resist <laughs> reading this, even though it's an academic paper, because it actually starts with a, a Snow White reference and uh, the fairy tale keeps on coming back throughout the article. So more entertaining than your average academic publication, for sure. So Michael, let's talk a little bit about first, maybe what motivated you to write this article. What about the current discussion, the universal discussion that you see around artificial intelligence and its applications tickled you to write this specific paper with your co-author, Andreas Kaplan? Um, as you know, and, and we talked about this last time, I'm, I'm dealing in big data and social media for many years. And so the, the transition to artificial intelligence came natural because for me, artificial intelligence is, is the way that comes after big data in order to make sense of big data. Because big data in itself, just storing data, come, be it from connected devices or from social media feeds or from whatever, has very limited value if you cannot have any action implications coming from it. And so Andreas and I, we thought we, we need to understand this concept of artificial intelligence better because it seems that everybody talks about it and 10 people in the room talking about artificial intelligence have 11 opinions what it actually means. Mm. And every company seems to freak out that they are late, although really very few companies do something with it. So when I explain it in class, I always use the example of teenage sex. Everybody talks about it, but so few people actually do it. Mm -hmm. And just because you don't do it doesn't mean you feel behind. And this was the main idea why we wanted to start this artificial intelligence journey, Andreas and I. The interesting part is that, you know, you actually start the article with exactly what you just hinted at, like by explaining the stages of, of artificial intelligence so that we're like not talking about a universal standard that we've already reached with this technology, but that there are various stages in which AI can today be deployed. And also that there are stages that we simply haven't yet reached in the application of this technology. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. 
The problem that humans have in general is that they are not so good judging what is actually intelligence and what is not intelligence. So, for example, for humans, playing chess is something that is associated with high levels of intelligence because it's a strategic game. It seems a very complex game. So at the time where computers started to play chess, humans thought, well, now the computers are at least as smart as us. So it will only take a couple of years until they become much, much smarter than us. And only later, when when research in artificial intelligence and, and before machine learning continued, we realized that some things that for us as humans seem very, very easy are for machines terribly difficult. Like there is a, a very famous um, picture on the internet, a very famous study. It's called Muffin or Chihuahua. that essentially shows um, 10 pictures of chocolate muffins and 10 pictures of Chihuahua faces, and you need to identify what is what. And while for humans, this is possible for computers, this tends to be very complicated. Mm. So what we said is we need to classify what actually artificial intelligence is in a structured way, because we're simply looking at what a computer can do, this will be very difficult for people to do. So our perspective is that there is a base step, which we call artificial narrow intelligence, where AI can do specific tasks like voice recognition, like pattern recognition, like fraud detection if you are a bank. And very often they can do these tasks better than human or as good as human, because if the computer is trained in the right way, then there is no reason to believe that the performance for these specific tasks should be less good. But that does not mean that computers can do or the artificial intelligence system can do anything else except this specific task. Mm -hmm. So the next step is what we call artificial general intelligence, which would be when the system can actually reason and plan for tasks it has not been programmed for. And then would come a last step, which you call artificial and super intelligence, which is what you mostly see in movies or read in science fiction stories where the computers actually have a conscience and can make actual behavior like systems like, like humans would. Now, when you look at what, what there is in the market and what impresses people, and this goes from self-driving cars to picture recognition on Facebook to Siri or Amazon Alexa or whatever, um, it's mostly artificial narrow intelligence. It's really the very first step because all these systems, as impressive as it may be, when you can talk to your kitchen speaker and, and ask about recipes for the next uh, chocolate cookie, it is really only one simple task. So I think 90% probably falls in this first group of artificial narrow intelligence. And we are clearly not at the general intelligence yet and probably will take many, many years until we are there. Do you still agree, though, that there's an acceleration? Are we going towards more general artificial intelligence faster than we have in the years before? Or I think there was clearly an acceleration in the past and until present, mostly because of two reasons, or three probably. The first one is we have an increasing amount of data available. In a decade or two, there are forecasts that there will be roughly 1,000 connected devices for each person on the planet. So just imagine the type of information that self-driving cars pump out, that uh, autonomous speakers pump out, that even kitchen devices can generate. Mm -hmm. So the, the degree of data, and which is generally summarized under the term big data, that we have seen in the past couple of years or probably decade has been exploding. I am not sure whether this growth will continue in the same speed simply because we already have reached such a high level of big data. But I'm sure it will, it will continue to improve. 
So referring to recent news here of what Facebook has just announced in terms of merging the messengers of Instagram, WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger, what are the implications there in terms of, I mean, that is, we can't even say big data anymore. That's the hugest, hugest data that natural language processing will probably ever face in the history so yeah, far. Yeah. So what are the implications of that then? Like, will that get us a step closer to actually basing intuition at least around the individual? Exactly. Because I think if you look at each individual data source, be it messenger, be it any form of individual social media application, or even go outside of the online space, your credit card history, your bank history. I think we are already at the point where we can at least theoretically store all of this information and get the information out of these individual databases. Mm -hmm. And I think the next step now comes from aggregating, because I'm, I'm a professor of marketing, and I know that you can learn a lot about how much Michael buys books on Amazon or how much Michael buys music on Amazon. But if you can combine Michael's purchases on Amazon with Michael's purchases for flights, with Michael's purchases in supermarkets, then you get a view on people that is much, much deeper and much more insightful than each single individual application can have. So yes, I agree. I think the future will probably not be on storing more data on individual tools, but on combining those data sources to get a, an even deeper picture about people and, and problems in general. It's an interesting uh, approach that you've given. Uh, so also with regards to the article that you wrote and that you published, it's of course, it's, it's trying to assess where we really truly are and what it actually means for the business owner and what it means you've even like, you've, uh, you've drawn parallels between implications for government, universities and business owners uh, and, and corporations. But tell us a little bit more about those three different units. So why did you choose those three to compare to each other? Aren't implications the same for everyone and why do they differ? Well, everybody always or most people talk about the implications for firms and, and there are many ways how firms can use artificial intelligence to develop new products, to get new insights about consumers. And that's what most of the general press talks about. But the perspective that we took in the article is different because we believe in order to really, really make this happen in the medium term, there is a very big element of education that needs to change because the way we train students over the past decades was essentially to teach them knowledge in a certain way. Mm -hmm. So the, the way teaching has been done in the past, well, probably even 100 years, give or take, was to teach concepts to students in the hope that they can apply these concepts in real life. And we increasingly, or I increasingly think that this is no longer adapted because these concepts tend to be outdated so fast and can be obtained such easier, such in such easier way through Wikipedia, through YouTube, through whatever, that the way you need to teach students is to First of all, teach them that they will need to continuously learn. And there's this talk about lifelong learning. It has been around for decades, but I think in future it will be really, really central. Mm -hmm. And to teach them to speak this language of artificial intelligence. So I advise all of my students, no matter which type of subject they study, that they need to learn a programming language like Python or R or whatever. Not because they will actually program, but like they have to learn, I don't know, French or English, they need to learn this other language to speak with a part of the world that will be a central element of their work environment in the future. And in parallel, these artificial intelligence trends have so fundamental changes for society that we took the perspective of governance as well. Because there will be jobs that will simply no longer exist in future. There will be ways in which, in which systems and computers can do tasks so much more efficient than humans that even those jobs that will still exist will probably require less human input. 
And this has huge implications on how to motivate people, how to generate a workforce for the future, and even how to ensure the income of a large share of the population in most developed and developing countries. So if we take the business owner's perspective on this, Michael, like, so not only are you saying basically there are actual implications for running a business, managing a business, growing a business when it comes to AI, but of course the whole environment is slowly going to change and integrate AI as well. So are the, the institutional context in which we operate our business is slowly going to adopt AI, which will have implications for us. Now, I think like the comforting part about the article is definitely like, you know, it's not too late. You know, <laughs> we're all still, uh, it's not too late. Everyone can still get on board and everyone can still like adopt AI in, in a sensible fashion. But what does that look like, right? Like, I think this is the big debate as well for many businesses. Like, you know, where do you start with applying AI solutions in your business? And where do you start with convincing stakeholders? Like, you know, do you always start at the board level? Do you start with, with, uh, with executive suites? Like, where does AI have to sort of penetrate the consciousness and how do you promote that consciousness? I think it, it needs to start with an actual problem and an actual decision. So the, the approach should not be AI is a thing that everybody talks about and that we have to do. So there is this hammer, so let's look at a nail that we can use it for, but it should be a real problem that the firm faces, mm -hmm. probably has faced for, for many years, and where I might possibly be a way to understand it better. And this can be um, in the area of product development, this can be in the area of better understanding customers, this can even be in the area of having highly repetitive operational tasks. There are so many tasks that firms have to do that are currently done by employees and that are highly repetitive, that are highly non-motivating for employees, where there is a lot of staff turnover in these functions. So in a certain way, you could argue the fact that these tasks are done traditionally is not beneficial for anyone. The employees have a boring job, the firm has inefficiencies, has a lot of training costs. And it might be some element like this, where exploring the possible use of AI could be an option. So I think that is the very first mm -hmm. and most important thing. It needs to start with a problem. And the second thing I think is people need to come to a common language. So I, I just, just two weeks ago, I taught an, an executive class in Paris. And I think no matter what your age, no matter what your stage of hierarchy and of your, of your uh, educational stage, you need to learn how these systems actually work. And I don't say that you have to be able to program a deep learning network and program the most sophisticated analysis. Like, if you do business in China, you don't have to be uh, able to really negotiate contracts in Chinese, but you need to have a very basic understanding. And this, in my view, goes by simply playing around with it yourself. So the convincing comes by actually having some people and ideally even high in the hierarchy, spending some days just learning how these things work and seeing the power in it. At the end of the article, you, you really talk about providing a, you know, a framework that helps organizations sort of like, you know, assess this. Can you tell us a little bit more about the framework and the, what you call internal, what you call external uh, factors that, uh, that relate to the implications of artificial intelligence for us? Yeah, the, the framework that we see is that you need to split between the firm level and the market or customer level. And we identified three different dimensions that are relevant in this context. The first one we talk about is confidence. And confidence needs to be on the manager level who need to be confident that the employees can actually interact in this fast moving environment. But it also needs to be on the market level because consumers need to be confident that 
companies don't abuse the power of AI and what AI can do. So this confidence is like the driving force of anything. In management literature, we have talked about trust for many, many decades. And this is simply extending this concept of trust mm -hmm. into this new entity that now comes along, which is artificial intelligence. The second is what I already mentioned before, which is the idea of change. Employees will need to constantly change. The market will constantly change. And there is a constant need of monitoring, monitoring in the way that the skills that your firm have still adapt to the marketplace and monitoring what is your competition doing. And there needs to be control in a sense that even if a system seems to be able to do a task perfectly and autonomously, we need to have some form of control that the machine cannot do whatever it wants to do. Because this control is also related to trust, for example. Mm. Let me give you an example out of medical research. Uh, consumer uh, Patients if are used to having a physician looking at the x-rays to identify whether they have a certain type of disease or not. And they trust the physician that he or she makes a judgment based on various different pieces of information. Now, theoretically, one could train an AI system that does these judgments probably more reliable and certainly faster than many physicians would do. But still, we may not want to trigger a whole treatment cycle for, let's say, lung cancer or a certain type of heavy disease simply because an AI system has recommended it. So this control element has very, very far, far ranging implications. And it goes even further than this in the sense that states probably need to control what can or what cannot be done. In the a very first step to this is possibly the data protection rule that the European Union has just introduced. But I think this is just the first step in this sense. These systems need to be controlled like any other system in the past had to be controlled and just to ensure that, that they are not abused in, in, the, in the worst possible way. Mm -hmm. I, I think this is so interesting. So these three factors of confidence, change and control. Are these things we can foster consciously? Do you feel like is this something that as a as management, like we need to sort of like, or as business owners, we need to go after now specifically as a task? Yes, I think especially the element of change and accepting that tasks will need to evolve. And I'm not saying on a daily basis, but possibly even on a quarterly basis. And that's something that worked last year probably may need to be rethought this year. Yes, I think this is something that requires constant management intervention, simply because of the human nature who does not want change. So many humans, and this is this is applies to anyone, this applies to me, to you, to every employee, to every manager, we like to do the things in the way we used to do them. Mm -hmm. And this is unlikely to going to work in this in this new environment. So yes, I think especially this element of change is very, very important. And if I had to prioritize them, the level of confidence as well, because this AI is so scary for many people, partly because whatever we read in press, and this takes up a bit what we start this podcast with, is like telling about the future. It gives us the impression that many things are already there that are probably not there at all. There was a study done by a leading US university last year about how autonomous cars could solve ethical dilemmas if an autonomous car has to have the choice between crashing into a wall and killing its passengers or crashing into a crowd of people, what should the car do? Mm -hmm. There was a very huge study that has been done in order to find out ethical dilemmas. And the simple fact that this study has been conducted and that thousands of people participated in it makes many people believe that tomorrow cars will make totally autonomous decisions, although we are still very, very far away from this world. 
So a reality check is very important about the actual stage of artificial intelligence you're dealing with. I think it's very sound advice from your end, Michael. And I hope the listeners are, are getting inspired by this. And maybe some of the fear will dissipate and, and people will get more excited again about tackling artificial intelligence. Because as you very optimistically stated in the last uh, section of your article, and they lived happily ever after. So the fairy tale has a happy ending. Do you really think that there will be like a, a happy fairy tale ending for uh, humans and artificial intelligence going forward? I, I, I really do. I deeply do. I think the, the story is that at some point the computers will take over the world and kill all humans, which we know from movies from the 80s and which have been repetitive in stories 100 years ago. I do not think this is going to happen. I think what AI will do is it will help firms to make substantially better products which benefit anyone, every consumer. It will avoid that that many employees have to spend time on tasks they do not like, which allows firms to use these employees on, on tasks that are more fulfilling in a very general sense. And yes, I'm, I'm very convinced that the world with AI will be a better world than the world without AI. Amazing. Thank you so much, Michael, for these insights and for sharing this. We will make sure to share the link as well to the article uh, below this podcast so people can read it and be inspired. And hopefully all of them uh, look at it more as a fairy tale journey rather than the, uh, the arduous uh, business management decision that it sometimes seems to, imp uh, to uh, adopt uh, artificial intelligence. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.